Amen. Please greet your neighbor before you sit down. All right, Sam, can you come up here a moment, Sam? And I need all the worship team people. Um, and let's see, I need a Brad Ratledge and Miss um, Keys. Almost called you Alicia, but that's not your name. So come on up. <laughs> so come on up. I want you all to stand in a row. I want to take your picture. That's what I want to do. Okay. Yeah, just stand in a row. I'm going to take your picture. Okay. okay. Well, Freddie, you didn't put on your makeup today. Notice, notice that. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three, and we'll take the picture. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Everybody but Sam can go down. Yeah, everybody but Sam. Yeah. How are you doing today? Good. Good. How's things going for you? Pretty good. Pretty good? School going great? It's going pretty good. All right. Well, what I would like to do is just take your picture alone. If you could stand right here, um, that's what I'd like to do. So, wait. Uh, do that. Sorry. Ready? Smile. One, two, three. There you go. All right. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. How is everybody? Good. Good. Um, are you hoping that I don't call you up to put your, your picture up here? Is that what you're hoping? Um, yeah, so cool. All right, well, <clears throat> there was a hurricane, and her name was Nicole, <laughs> and we are going to leave that right where it is. <laughs> We're just going to let that set right there. Hurricane Nicole just set it right, right, right there. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, that's where we are. And um, we are going to begin reading today with verse 11. So Luke chapter 17, verse 11, is where we're at. And this is what it says. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Can I have just a little bit more light in the room? Yep. Passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you ever read through the Bible, um, sometimes these particular verses like this, you kind of skip over. Okay? But if you pause here a moment to just think about this particular verse, there's a lot going on. In verse 11, for instance, on the way to Jerusalem is a key phrase at this particular point in Luke's gospel. And what it's saying is that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem for the last time, for the last trip. He is going there to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And so he has made a trek down from, uh, <clears throat> down from Galilee. He's going through Samaria. He's going all the way to Jerusalem. So he's on the way to do that. And I think you need to know that that is what is on Jesus' mind. That's what the author wants you to know that is on Jesus' mind at this point. Then it says, passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, I don't know if you know, if you've seen the map before, you probably have. But up here is Galilee. It's like, it's like a state that we have, like North Carolina, right? And then Samaria would be like South Carolina, 
So you have Galilee, which is a region, and you have Samaria, which is a region. And within Samaria is actually a city called Samaria. And in Galilee is different ones, like Nazareth, Cana. You may have heard of those. Um, and so, so it's the spaces. So it says here in this text, it says, um, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And what this means is that he was on the border of Galilee and Samaria. In that particular day, they considered that to be the space Galilee and Samaria. In that particular day, they considered that to be the space between spaces. It wasn't Galilee, and it wasn't Samaria. It was just an area of landmass that you passed through. It was basically determined as nowhere land. So Jesus, at this point, is passing through nowhere land, or he arrives in nowhere land. And that brings us to verse 12, and it says this, And as he entered a village, he entered a village in nowhere land. He entered a village in the space between spaces, between Galilee and Samaria. And he entered a village, and he was met by ten lepers. And it's at this point that you realize that the space between spaces was where leper colonies were. So you have Galilee, and if you had leprosy in Galilee, you had to go to the space between spaces to live. You had to be placed outside of that landmass. If you had um, leprosy in Samaria, you could either go down in between Judah and Samaria or go up north and, and be in that particular space between spaces. Because this is places where nobody would want to live, where villages were set up to kind of um, support these lepers in this leprosy system. Because lepers could not be among people. So Jesus Christ, on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross for lost people, is actually intentionally stopping in a village of lost people in the middle of nowhere. Isn't that an amazing picture? Yeah. And so here are these 10 lepers, and they approach him. And they're like, hey, um, Jesus, uh, we... We, we want you, right? And so in, in this verse, it says, um, yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Master, have mercy on us. So 10 real people that had leprosy were crying out to Jesus. Last service, it was the very first time that somebody had realized that it wasn't just men that had leprosy. Have you thought your entire life that men had leprosy and it was no women that had leprosy in that particular 10? They say 10, but they never tell you that it's all men. They never tell you what the combination is. In fact, leprosy was not a respecter of gender and it wasn't a respecter of age. So there could be people that were old that had leprosy. There could be people that were young and children that had leprosy. But all these people had one thing in common. And the thing that they had in common was that they were cast out of society. They were outcasts of society. And Jesus, on his way to intentionally go to the cross, intentionally stops in a village that is surrounded by lepers. I, I think that's absolutely incredible that he would actually do that. 
and they cried out to him. Now, this might be a little harder for you to find, or maybe you've already thought of it. I don't know. But, but that particular phrase, cried out to him, have mercy on us, is the same exact phrase that was used in the previous chapter of the rich man who is in Hades. And what he is doing is he is crying out to Lazarus, actually Abraham, so that Lazarus will come and give him a little bit of water to put on his tongue because he is in utter torment. In other words, it's a phrase that means I am in a helpless place and I can't get out of it. I am doomed. So these lepers, under the direction of the Holy Spirit when this was written, used the exact same phrase because they felt just as hopeless. They felt just as hopeless. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt hopeless with anything that you have ever gone through? Have you ever had a moment where you felt that you were in the space between spaces and you didn't know which way to go? You didn't know which way was up. You didn't know which way was the land you're supposed to go to, what you were supposed to do. You were just in the space between places. Have you, have you ever been there? Yeah, I have. Space between places. From this text, there's a couple of things that we know. If you're like that today and you feel like you're in the space between places, this is what I can tell you today. Jesus already knows that you are there. The second thing that you know, that you can know from this text, is that Jesus is already on his way. He's already on his way to you. See, this passage of Scripture says, and this is pretty remarkable, it says, and he, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. And here's what the ten lepers thought. They heard that Jesus was coming, and they were like, all right, this is our chance this is our chance. Let's go see Jesus. Let's see if he will do something for us. We've heard that he heals people. Maybe he will heal us today. And so they cried out with a last-ditch effort with all their might, and they said, help us. Will you please have mercy on us? And so they went to meet him. But what they didn't know at that particular time was Jesus already planned to come see them long before they knew he was coming. You see, Jesus has already planned to meet you where you are long before you see him coming. When I was saved, and let me just say, I'm not a Calvinist, I'm not an Arminian, I'm a Biblicist. If you want to do anything, I like the Bible. I like what it teaches. I care less about theologians and what they say is right and wrong. I care less about that. Here's what I know. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, Jesus Christ said, I am going to meet Philip Brand. And he met me at eight years old. And this is the second thing that I know. When I was eight years old, I had a choice to either come to Jesus or not come to him. And I came to Jesus. For whatever reason, you can say whatever reason it was, I felt compelled to ask forgiveness of my sins and come to Jesus, and I was saved at that moment. Jesus Christ met me before, long before I thought about meeting him. And he did the same thing for you. So if you're a Christian, that particular scenario has happened for you. If you're going through a difficult time and you feel like you're in the space between places and you're wondering exactly where Jesus is, I want you to know this morning that Jesus is already on his way. He has already planned to meet you in your need and he is going to be there for you. You just need to plan to meet the Jesus 
that is already coming in your direction. Wow, right? So you plan to meet him. You intentionally plan to do it because he's intentionally coming your way. So he said, have pity. Verse 14 says this, and when he saw them, he said, go. Sorry about that. Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is an amazing moment here. Ten people cried out for mercy, and Jesus didn't touch them. He didn't go tell them to wash someplace. He didn't tell them to say a prayer. He didn't do anything like that. He didn't pick up holy water and splatter it on them. He didn't do any of that. He didn't wave his handkerchief and blow on them so that they would fall down and be healed. He did none of that. All he said was, go. You go and present yourself to the priest. And it's at that moment that the 10 people that still had leprosy had a choice to make. Either they were going to go or they weren't going to go. And so they chose in that moment to step out in faith and they headed toward the temple to show themselves to the priest in order so that they could be pronounced clean. I submit to you this morning that they were obedient and they demonstrated faith and on the way to the temple, they were healed. Somewhere along the way, they're walking around, right? They're just walking around. And uh, Freddie looks at Matt and says, Matt, your ears are back. Right? That's what he says. He says, oh, my goodness, your ears are back. Right? Um, Matt looks at Lorena and says, oh, my goodness, your two fingers that fell off three weeks ago, they're back. They're back. And all of a sudden, these people started calling each other their, their, their names and saying, oh, you look, you oh, You look beautiful. Brad, you have the skin of a baby. Right? And and so they're getting more and more excited because they know that Jesus is, that that guy back there has healed them. And by faith, going to the temple, when they present themselves, they are going to be pronounced clean. And they are very, very, very excited. I'll tell you why they're excited. It's not just because they're being healed which is a big thing. I'm saying that's 45% of it. They're excited because for a certain period in their life, they have been outcast. They've been outcast. If you're a family member of one of the people on this picture, I would like you to stand up. If you're a family member in here. I know some of them have left because they, yeah. So I want you to look at this. These are people that they would never see at Thanksgiving because they had leprosy. These are people that they were never able to hug, never able to kiss, never able to be around at a close distance because they had leprosy. They lived in the space between spaces and it would take a journey for their family to get to them. And even when they got to them, they couldn't touch them and show them their love. Y'all can be seated. Now, isn't that sad? Can you imagine? Yeah, I can't, well, I can't imagine not being able to call my dad on the phone and then go see him and have dinner with him, right? I I can't imagine that. Of course, I guess it's a little easier since we went through 2020, right? It's a little easier for that, I guess. 
But nonetheless, I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing. So these people are excited because not only are they getting their health back, they are getting their families back. Not only are they getting their families back, they are getting their social interaction with other people back. So now they can live in a regular village with regular people and have a regular life and get back to normalcy. And they are absolutely excited. Absolutely excited about this. Make no mistake, they're excited. They know they've been healed. They had the faith to go. They were healed because of that faith and they were very obedient. But then there's this one guy. There's this one guy In verse 15, it talks about him. It says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Here is a guy that's walking along to to the temple, He's walking along and he's obeying the prophet that has just healed him. He's obeying him. And all of a sudden, this one guy has a deeper understanding about what has just happened than the rest of the nine people. All of a sudden, this just one person out of the whole group of nine understands what really has happened, what really has gone on, what really they have just experienced. The other nine are missing it. You see, the other nine think that God is in the temple, and he is. He's dwelling in the temple. But this one guy realizes in that moment that he has just experienced the presence of God in that village, on a road, in the middle of nowhere. He has been face to face with the God that created him. And he stops, it stops him. And he says, I don't need to go to the temple for a priest to gain me entrance into God the Father's presence. I have already got that back there in the village in the middle of nowhere. Come on. And he goes and he is so excited and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he praises his name. Here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that there are Christians who are faithfully obedient to God, but they're missing his presence. I'm very concerned that there are people that are very obedient and they're doing it by faith and they really have faith and they're moving along their life in faith. They're doing all the steps, but they're missing Jesus in their life on the road because they haven't stopped long enough to figure out what's really going on. People that are very obedient, that, that are very obedient and they're very faithful, some of the reasons that they don't see Jesus on the road and they don't experience his presence is because they get upset, is because they let the little things get in control of them, is because their victories are so big that they forget their God and they're so excited that they forget that the guy back there is the one that killed him and he's really the real thing. They're so excited about themselves and what they are doing that they forget, they forget that the Christian life is more than being obedient. It's more than being faithful in that obedient steps. It's having a personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross but also created you so that you would have a relationship with him. 
So they forget that. And somehow or another, they think that in their obedience, they're going to go in the direction of God's presence, and they will only get to it at one level. You have to go and have a personal conversation with Jesus and be in his presence and worship him in order to experience him on a deeper level. This guy got it. Let me tell you something. When you have an experience with Jesus and his presence, and he has touched your life, you're loud. You're loud. You're loud about it. You might not be able to sing, but you're saying, praise, praise the Lord. You might, you, might uh, you know, not be the most energetic person in the world, but all of a sudden when Jesus gets you, you're just like, yeah, this is awesome. I've had an experience with Jesus, and I need to pray with him. And in this passage of Scripture, it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And then it says, And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now that is key. Because what it tells you in this moment is the other nine were Jewish. That's what it tells you. So here's a Samaritan, the guy that's not supposed to get it because he's hated by the Jewish race. He's an outcast. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Not only is he outcast because he has leprosy, he's an outcast in Israel because he's a mixed breed. And so he is the outest of the outcastest, outcastest, most outcastest, most outest outcast in the whole group. Outest of the outest castest, right? That's what he is. Outest of the outest castest. His grammar isn't right. Nothing is right at all. This guy is horrible. Absolutely horrible. So what's happened is there's nine people excited. They don't even know he's missing. They don't even know that Sam has gone back to Jesus. They don't even know it. They don't even miss him. They don't miss him because in the leper colony, he was already an outcast with the lepers. That's pretty bad when you're an outcast with the people that are already outcast. It's pretty bad. So Jesus, so Sam goes back, this guy, goes back to Jesus because Sam is a good Samaritan name. He goes back to Jesus and he falls on his feet because in his mind he's thinking, I did not deserve to be healed. Why did this Jewish man heal me too? And his conclusion was, it's because this Jewish man is God. That was his conclusion. And he went back and he worshiped him. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. I don't know what your spiritual life is like. But if you're just going through the motions and being obedient faithfully, good job. But please come back to Jesus today in his presence. You can be faithful all you want to. You can obey him all you want to. But if you're not experiencing his presence, you're missing something. The reason that we miss stuff is because we become too big for God. See, when you're too big for God, you lack gratitude. When you're too big for God, you lack thankfulness. When you're too big for God, you think that you know more than the Bible knows. You know more than he knows. 
When you're too big for God, you're thinking that you deserve whatever blessings is coming your way. And ladies and gentlemen, there isn't a person in this room that deserves the blessings of God. Salvation, your family, your work, what you drive, this church, whatever it is, there isn't a person in here that deserves the blessings of God. And once you start thinking that you deserve what you have, or it is owed to you, what you have is the moment that you lose the interpersonal connection with Jesus Christ and having a close relationship with him because you deserve nothing. And it's at the point of us saying that we deserve nothing, that gratitude wells up in our soul and we're able to go back to Jesus and worship him appropriately. We're able to go back to Jesus and say, thank you for your blessings. I am very thankful, very, very thankful. But so many people miss it. So many people miss it. Um, this week I went to the Southern Baptist Convention business meeting, which is a, you know, a joy to go to, you know, we were voting in stuff. It was just, yeah, yeah. Listening to people talk. It was, it was amazing. Um, it has to be done, you know, but it's, it's what it is. So I have friends there. So I met with one of my friends and, uh, he, he knows my family. So he asked me how Nicole was doing. I said, well, this is Tuesday. I said, well, Nicole's in Florida. And he said, she is? I said, oh, yeah, she's in Florida. Yeah. Well, what is she doing there? Well, she is going to help Animal Kingdom at Disney create a rainforest with a wind tunnel. Really? Absolutely. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty big. I said, yeah, pretty big. She's number one. And he said, yeah, so when is she coming back? I said, well, it'll take her a couple of days to get back. She has a couple other stops to make in Georgia. And then South Carolina, she's going to do some things there. And he said, really? I said, yeah. Um, I'm a little concerned about it because when she gets to Georgia and South Carolina, she'll become very depressed. <laughs> and he said, well, that's sad. It's, how do you know that she's going to become depressed? I said, well, it's kind of a pattern. <laughs> I said, really? You, you know her that well? Oh, yeah, I know her that well. I do. But let me tell you, by the time she gets to North Carolina by Friday and Saturday, sun's going to be out, it's going to be shining, and everything's going to be great. She will have, have no longer, she will have dissipated her depression. He said, wow, that, that's, you really know her well. And then I said, um, you do realize I'm talking about a hurricane, right? And he lost it. Like, he was right with me the whole time. He didn't know exactly what was going on. You know what I'm saying? So I was using, of course, a duality there, wasn't it? Using my wife's name and making it, you know, right. There's a duality in the Christian life. I say that to say this. There's a duality in the Christian life. There's what is physically here, and then there's the spiritual. And if you're only concentrating on what's physically here, you're missing out on the spiritual power of a Savior who wants to empower you a little bit further than this life can empower you. Don't miss out on that. There's always something bigger going on. So verse 19 says this. Well, let's talk about Jesus a minute. 17. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Now, this isn't, <coughs> this isn't a commentary on their faithfulness. This is a commentary on their thankfulness. 
Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, which Jesus is telling you that he's the only one that's a foreigner. The rest of them are Jewish. Verse 19, it says, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Um, I, was, I, was, I was struck with that because that is, that is kind of similar to what the priests would tell people when they came to the, to the temple. I was very struck with that particular phrase. Somewhere along this journey, the Samaritan, as he was walking with these Jews, or maybe as he went back, or maybe he realized it after this particular thing, and I think it was after this, that even if he had made it to the temple, he would not have been able to see a priest because a priest couldn't see him because he was Samaritan, and the priest would become dirty and unholy by interacting with someone from Samaria. Well, you say, Philip, how do you know that? Well, there's what's called the Good Samaritan story, where the two religious people, the Levite and the priest, wouldn't stop because they would have gotten dirty by that. And then the Samaritan comes, and he doesn't mind getting dirty, right? Because he's of a different stroke. So, so to interact with a Samaritan would have made the priest, in their mind, unholy. So on his trek back to God and the temple, he would not have been able to get through, even with his sacrifice, to even be pronounced clean in that particular scenario. So he went to the only place he could go, Jesus Christ. And if he had to choose between the two, I would choose Jesus every time. What he realized was that not only was God dwelling at the temple in Jerusalem, but God was also on the road where he lived. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you know this or not, and I could be wrong, there could be one Jewish person in here. None of us are Jewish. None of us are. At least I think that. If you are, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that you're Jewish. That didn't sound right. <laughs> we are all Gentiles. And to top it all off, this is an unpopular thing to say, but it is true. We're Americans, and that means that we're mutts. We're a mixed breed of people that have come together in a country and married different races from different lands, right? We, we all are. We all are. That's why I kind of get a kick out of this whole racial thing. We are all mutts, every single one of us. We are, in essence, the very thing that the Jews would hate in their day. We are Samaritans. But here's the good news. Jesus loved us anyway. Jesus loved us anyway. He came, he loved, he's concerned about you. He wants to meet you in the place between the places. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you love. And I think we need to plan to meet him as he has planned to meet us. So at the end, I'm going to call you to the altar if you need to come. First group that could come to the altar is this. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're in the space between places and you're in the space where you need to cry out to him to say, have mercy and pity on me. And you need to come to the altar and have that sort of prayer right here. Or maybe 
You're in the other group. It just needs to come here and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have not been grateful lately. I'm sorry that I've not been thankful. And here's what I'm thankful for. And then you begin to list it. I joke a lot about Nicole. I do. I have permission every time. Trust me, this week, the hurricane was just a fun time for me in our house. But there's some of those I just can't say. They're just not appropriate, okay? It's not appropriate. But I'm very grateful for my wife. Very grateful. I do not want you to tell her that I told you this here because she's not in this room right now. But, you know, I don't want her to know. It's a secret. But I'm very grateful for her. I'm very grateful for my home. I'm very grateful for my family. I'm very grateful for this church. I'm very grateful for the car that I drive. It has many miles on it, but I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for just being able to have friendships like I have with you. I'm grateful to be a pastor, which I really don't deserve to be in this position. If anybody in the entire world didn't deserve to be in this position, it would be Philip Brand. But for some reason, Jesus met me, and this is what he wanted me to do, and that's the only reason I do it. Because you can make a lot more money doing other stuff, right? You can do other things and be more fulfilled and have the weekends to do whatever you want to, right? But God called me here, and I, loved, I love him. And it's a blessing to have this position. It's a blessing to be in a roof today and not outside wondering if somebody's going to blow it up as we meet here today. We have a lot of blessings. Do not let the little things make you miss the blessings that God has given you. You need to constantly, every day, come to his feet and thank him for different things that he is doing in your life. Because let me tell you, he is active in every person's life in this room. From the people that are really excited to be here, to the people that are kind of mediocre, to the people that were drugged here by their parents. They are all, he's all wanting, he wants to be involved with you. And that is something to be grateful for. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. We thank you for this lesson. Um, there's so much more to it than just this leper coming back to you to praise you. So much more. This story shows your love, your concern, your intentionality in each one of our lives your concern for us, your wanting to have that relationship. And we are thankful for that. So as you have intentionally decided to meet us here today, we want to meet you as well. So with the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in this room, whether they need to cry out to you or be grateful to you once again, or whether they just want to be grateful because they just hadn't had the opportunity in the last hour. I pray that they'll take that opportunity. And then I do pray for the one that hasn't received you as their personal Savior. Then in this moment that they'll respond to the call to come to you. They'll come to Jesus. And they'll find out how they can be saved and begin a relationship with you. So we leave that at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand. The altar is open. I'm here for you as well as we sing this song. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your head for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. 
Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Now your burden's lifted and carried far away. And precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus and live. Like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when you walk, sometimes we fall. So fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, Cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus and live. Oh, when the love is over and music fills the night. When you can't contain the joy inside Dance for Jesus Dance for Jesus Dance for Jesus And live With your final heartbeat Kiss the world goodbye Go in peace and laugh on glory side. Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus and live. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. He wants to meet you. You have to choose to meet him. Grace and peace. I'll see you next week.